Amen and amen. Well, we've been talking about uh, going on a journey together, and it's the journey that Jesus has called us to. And to do that, we've been looking at how Jesus called His disciples on a journey, and that journey was simply to follow Him. And we began by looking at that, that all He asked them to do was to simply follow Him. And they left everything they had, the ones that we have an account of, which is basically five of them, and he just, they left everything immediately and just followed Him. And we began to look at why would they do that? How would they do that? I mean, we've been, many of you who've been Christians for a long time, you just know those verses. In fact, let's put, put up uh, uh, Matthew 4 up there, the first verse. And these are our signature verses, 4.18. And Jesus, well, we can't do that one, can we? And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon and Peter, and Andrew's brother, casting nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately, immediately left their nets and followed him. Notice they didn't make long-term plans. They didn't figure out what it meant. They just immediately left everything and followed him. Going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father, and followed him. And we looked at the beginning, that's all Jesus said to them. And they left everything and followed him. And we looked at, why would they do that? Well, first of all, we saw that it's the authority, the person, it's who it is that called them. First of all, it's the authority, this is the Son of God. This is God calling them to leave everything and to follow him. So there's an authority with which he said these words. Secondly, we looked at the one that called them, loved them more than anything else, more than they loved themselves. So there was something in his call, although there was an authority in that call, somehow there was a love communicated through that authority. And, and sometimes we have trouble with that, balancing out authority and love. But God is love, and everything we're going to see today that God does for us and with us or requires of us, He does out of love for us. And then we saw that, that, that the one who called them gave everything for them. And that He wasn't calling them to do something that He was not already doing for them. And then we began to look last time at the answer. So when you we get a call, you have to answer it. And if you don't answer it, that's an answer. If you look at the, at the, at the caller ID and say, eh, I don't want to talk to that person, that's, an, that's an answer. It's just, I don't want to talk to you. And so, uh, so we've looked at that. We began to look at that last week. Today we're going to go a little further into this answer and how Jesus sets forth because He tells us how to answer. He doesn't tell us, tell us what we have to answer, but He tells us what the alternatives are for answering. You can't just pick your own answer. Now to do that, I want to lay some background. We just mentioned it. Because we're going to hear some words today that without this background can sound hard. And, but they're, they're, they're spoken by God out of love for us. First of all, understand this principle. This is foundational for understanding your Bible. Somehow I got this established in my thinking years ago. And verses I used to struggle with, suddenly I could receive them and accept them. And it's this principle. God is love. He's not full of love. He doesn't have lots of love. It isn't a verb of something He does. The, he is love. He is, that is by definition His core nature. Amen. 
He is love. So that means he cannot act in any way outside of that nature. So God cannot speak. God cannot. That's not that he doesn't want to. He cannot act or speak or require anything outside of his love for us. So that everything God does is motivated by his love for you. Whether it seems loving or not. And those of you that are parents or good parents recognize sometimes because you love your children you have to do things with them, to them, or for them that they may not perceive as loving at that time. But there'll come a time if you do that faithfully when they grow up where they'll come back to you and thank you and recognize that you're loving them by the things that you do. In Hebrews chapter 12, we're not going to turn there, uh, the writer of Hebrews addresses this because a lot of the book of Hebrews is a correction to the Jewish believers that had been scattered by the early first century persecution. And at the end of this, in chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews and the Holy Spirit through him kind of begins to bring the focus back around and he talks about discipline, starting in verse 5 and he says, because God loves you, He will discipline you, He will correct you. The words in there, we're not going to have time to go through it and break it down, but it starts with just correcting you with words. But it goes on to the point that if He's got to correct you with physical discipline, He will do that because He loves you you. So we can go from that, and then he goes on to see, so because as a father will discipline his child, and as imperfect as our fathers are, he said, the father of spirits will discipline us and correct us so that we may live and we will walk in his holiness. So understand this as a groundwork for the scriptures we're going to read today, that Jesus requires these other things. Jesus challenges us with these things because he loves us and knows what's best for us. That's so important. That's so important. And we'll come back to that uh, a little bit, to be reminded of that a little bit towards the end. The obedience that God requires of us is for our good, not for his benefit. I'm going to say that again. The obedience that God requires of us is for our good, not something God wants to prove about Himself. God does not have an authority problem. People with an authority problem are insecure and they're trying to prove something about themselves by exercising their authority over you. God's, God's, God's got a good self-image. <laughs> God's not insecure. If he were insecure, he would not be able to deal with us. So, so whatever God, the obedience that God requires is not because God has an ego problem. He doesn't need us to come and tell us how good he is. He knows we need to come and tell us how good he is because we need to see how good he is. And he knows we need obedience because he knows what obedience will do for us. God wants to bless you beyond anything you can imagine. God created this man and this woman, and He provided everything they needed, but that wasn't enough. Then God said, I got something special I want to do for you. So God created a special garden, which He called Eden. And the term Eden means place of delight. 
So God created a special place for them to live that was going to be filled with everything that could satisfy their deepest desire as long as He was the source of that satisfaction. God wanted to bless us. We see after Christ has come and after He paid the price for us in Romans 8, verse 32, one of my favorite verses, He who spared not His own Son, but delivered us from delivered him for us all, how will he not also together with us freely give us everything else that he has? God wants to pour his blessings out of you. That's why he says to tithe in, in, in Malachi 3. Tithe, come to me. Tithe, bring your tithe to the stores and challenge me. See if I will not pour out on you a blessing that you cannot receive, that I will open the windows of heaven. Come and try me. I want to bless you. So the God that we're going to read about today isn't doing this because He's strict, isn't doing this because He's demanding. He's got a generous giving heart, but He knows what will bless us and what will hurt us. It's as if your five-year-old son had been watching TV, probably thinks he should have been, and what he wants for Christmas is a pistol. Well, I love my son. I'm going to give him whatever he wants. So I go out and buy him a 45 caliber pistol. You'd never do that, would you? But it's what he wants because he sees it on TV. Why wouldn't you do that? He's not mature enough and disciplined enough to handle a pistol. He's going to kill him and probably you too. So the things God wants us to bless that we want, but we don't have the character and discipline to be able to handle them, because God knows once you do that, it'll pull you away from Him and then away from the source of all of your life and blessing. So the obedience that God requires is from a God who loves us and cares about us and wants to bless us. Even the Ten Commandments... There are commandments, by the way. The Ten Commandments were to, to, to bring them to a place where they could live in a relationship with a holy God. That should have had a better response than that. It wasn't because God was coming down on Mount Sinai and I said, You know what? Here are my rules. Like it or, le- 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 you know, like it or lump it. <laughs> Rule number one. Rule number two. No, God says, I want to have a living relationship with you. But I'm a holy God. So this is what it's going to take for you to be able to live in a relationship with me. So even those commandments were so that God could relate to them and they could relate to God. By the way, this is all in the notes you can download. Because Jesus... When Jesus first called His disciples, and we've already talked about this, the only thing He told them was, you, come follow Me. And they left everything and they followed Him. But that wasn't the end of the revelation. At various places along the way, Jesus begins to reveal to them what that's going to mean, what that's going to require, what it's going to cost. So we're going to look at at one of those stages today, or begin to look at it. We're going to spend some time on this. So let's go to Matthew 16. So he called them in Matthew 4, so they got 12 chapters under their belt. That was supposed to be funny. (laughs) Supposed to be. That's because you were busy turning, I know. Matthew 16. 
And now they've seen many things. They've seen miracles. They have a greater understanding of who He is. We're going to pick up in verse 13. There are quite a few verses to read here, but they're important for where we're going to go with this. Matthew 16, 13. That's 15, 13. And when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do men say that I am? I, the Son of Man, am. And they said to him, Some say you're John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, This is the question that all of us are asked, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And also I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed and raised on the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Think of that saying, Far be it from you, Lord, that this shall happen to you. And he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of man, of God, but of the things of man. And then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone's going to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Well, there's a lot in there, but it's important that we go through it because it prepares a foundation for what we're going to talk about. So let's kind of go back to verses 13 through 17, where Jesus says, To who do men say that I am? And their answer is, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Jeremiah. They're, they're talking about what the opinion of the, of this, of the group is that's following around. This is what people think. So Jesus said, what do, what do people say that I am? And then he comes to the question, yeah, but who do, you're my disciples. Who do you say that I am? He's still asking that question today. And Peter answers in verse 16. Peter answers and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in verse 17, Jesus answered and said, You are blessed, Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. In other words, you didn't figure that out because you're so smart and have read the Scripture so well. But that was revealed to you by my Father that's in heaven. There's, different, there's two basic different kinds of knowledge we can gain. And even the philosophers understood this. They just... One source of knowledge is things that our noodle can, I mean, our brain can figure out. That we can do by our gathering information, talking to people, and then we begin to connect the dots in our mind and form a picture of, of what truth is. And that's by our reasoning and our understanding. And God gave us the capacity to reason and the capacity to understand. But there are limits on it. The second major way of, of, of gaining knowledge or wisdom, is, and the only way to gain wisdom, is by revelation. Revelation is when God reveals it to you. It's not when it comes into existence, it's when you first saw it. 
Jesus was the Christ before you ever met Him. But at some point, through however means He chose, He revealed Himself to you. He revealed who He was to you, and you received that revelation in your heart. That's something that goes directly from the Spirit of God into your spirit. And it goes around your mind. Then your mind has to get involved in understanding what it means and what to do with it. But the importation of the knowledge or the wisdom comes by revelation. And so what Jesus is saying to Peter, although you followed me, you know all kinds of things about me, that understanding did not come from any man. That was a revelation by my Father through the Spirit to you. He didn't say that to the other eleven, Peter thinking. So I'm, I'm in a flow here. I hear from God. Well, we're going to see something very interesting. Okay. So the beginning of this, there is a revelation of who Jesus is that's come by the Spirit of God. Then Jesus says, and this is where some churches have, have gone in a different direction. Let's put it that way. Jesus says, you're now called Peter, Petras, which is a Greek word for rock, small rock. On this rock, it's a different form of Petras, which means a large rock, I will build my church. And some, and many of you raised in this tradition, that believe that was Jesus establishing Peter as the rock of this church. Well, that rock became shaky a little later on um, when he got under pressure. No, what Jesus is saying is my church, my church, not somebody else, my church is to be founded on the revelation of who I am. I'm the rock. Peter's thinking... Jesus singled me out. God singled me out because I'm the only one in this group that God showed that to. Whoo! I got a gift. I got to go use it. We'll see where that got him. Then he said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That's the authority. We're not going to do it. And then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one. Now look what begins in verse 21. So Jesus has given a revelation. God through, has given a revelation of who He is. Peter's flowing in this revelation. He's, wow, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a prophet. I hear from God. And now Jesus says, from this time on, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed and raised up on the third day. Jesus declares, we've had the revelation of His mission, and now He declares to them what it's going to cost Him to fulfill His mission. And look at Peter's re-answer, verse 22. Peter, he's still flush with, God speaks to me. He's still flush with, God singled me out. He's still flush with, Jesus is founding His church on me. 
He's filled flush with all this. And so now Jesus shocks them by telling them, because at this point, this is God coming to the earth. This is the answer, the Messiah, the answer to everything they've been waiting for. And they've got this shackle of Rome that's been holding them in bondage. And now the God's come to deliver them and to set them free. And we're part of the select group that's going to walk with Him. And now this man is saying, no, that's not going to happen that way. He's saying, no, for this to happen, it's going to cost me suffering, rejection in my life. Peter says, no, look at it. He pulls him aside, verse 22. And he began to rebuke the Son of God. He just revealed he's the Son of God. He's rebuking God and saying, look into him. He says, far be it from you, let this not happen to you. Look at Jesus' answer. He turned and said to Peter, get away behind me, Satan. That's a chilling statement. That means in the space of only a few verses, Jesus has commended him that he heard God speak to him. And now that same man that was open and heard God speak, Jesus is rebuking, saying, you've also just heard from the devil. I learned a principle from that. Spiritual sensitivity makes you aware, sensitive to hear either spirit. Equally. So just because you think you're spiritually sensitive and hearing something spiritually doesn't mean automatically you're hearing from God. Just because God used you once or twice or has used you before doesn't mean you, have to have, you can have confidence in your ability to hear. Well, who are, what am I have to confidence in? This word. There are certain guidelines for helping to discern whether this is the Spirit of God. And one of them is to talk to somebody that's mature in the faith that can be sensitive to you as either this is God or it's not God. Many people have shipwrecked because they thought they heard something that was God. And it was a Spirit, all right, but it wasn't the Spirit of God. When we were in Bible school, we had a group of... uh, a, a, a carpool the first six months where we lived and there was a young man in the carpool that began to be friends with it and he in this car he started speaking things over the women in the car things about their life that there's no way he could have known that and some said wow he's really spiritual but I had a I had a check in here something was wrong in here and I began to pray about that and I realized there are spirits out there that's not in my message spirits out there called familiar spirits and they're not godly. They're demonic spirits and they're familiar with you because they've watched your whole life and they've watched the lives of people around you. So those spirits knew what had gone on in these women's life and were showing it to this man. We have to be sober and alert. But here what I want you to see is this, and this is the point here. That's kind of a sidetrack. Peter is rejecting the idea that the ministry Jesus has is going to cost him something. If this is God, why is it going to cost him? It doesn't make sense is what Peter's saying. If you're the answer, you're the Messiah, then, then willingly going and suffering and dying, how's that going to accomplish it? 
Peter is, whereas before, Peter wasn't using his reasoning, the Holy Spirit was revealing it to him. Now Peter's, he's, he's open to the wrong spirit because he's trying to reason about what God said. I'm going to say that again because that's worth saying again. When we start reasoning about what God says, we, I'm not saying understand it. I'm, not, I'm saying when you start figuring it out, why would He say this? What, what is this going to mean about this? Instead of simply obeying what He says, when we begin to reason about it, you go from here to here. That's exactly what Satan did in Genesis 3. He got, has God said? Oh, and this is what God really meant. And this is what God was trying to do. And the moment she entered into that, she was toast. Because she was open to another spirit speaking to her. Boy, I was not planning to get in this at all this morning. Peter rejects the idea. Peter, listen carefully, this is where we're getting to the heart of it. Peter wants Jesus to fulfill the mission Peter's way. That doesn't make sense. That's not common sense. How could you accomplish the salvation of the world? How could you be the Messiah if you've come to die and to suffer and die? He wants Jesus to do it His way. Listen to this statement. Victory through death doesn't make any sense. There's no common sense in victory overcoming through death. And so Peter was rejecting what Jesus said he had to do because it didn't make sense to him. This is crucial for where we're going. We see here that Satan was working through Peter to stop Jesus from dying, from paying the cost. And now we go to verse 24. So having said this, having called them to follow Him, having seen Him minister, having now a revelation of who He is, having seen Peter rebuked from trying to stop him and exercise common sense, Jesus now turns his attention to them with these words. Verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, that means follow him, here's the cost. See, there's going to be a cost to you also, disciples. If you're going to follow me, you're going to have to pay a cost also. This is why I talked before, and I'm going to talk again before we're over. God only requires things because He loves us. So we have to see where His love is in this. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So Jesus is saying, there's a life that I have for you that you don't know, but in order to have that life, you have to be willing to let go of this life that you do know. Verse 26, What does it profit a man 
if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? As Jesus gets more focused on his ultimate purpose, he declares what the conditions are going to be for following him. What we're going to see is these are conditions. Remember, he's called us to follow him. So he's never going to call us to do something he hasn't already done for us, with us. Following means somebody's going ahead of you. In Hebrews, it calls him a forerunner that's gone before us behind the veil. So Jesus is our forerunner who runs ahead of us, who leads us, but he, a good leader, doesn't tell you to do something he's not already doing. And so Jesus is going to be an example to them of what he's talking about, and therefore an example to us. These are conditions that Jesus is, has met or is meeting himself. So to follow him requires that we meet the same conditions. We're going to take time as we go through this journey to look at these conditions. So this is really only a beginning today. God's begun to give me an understanding of these conditions that I've never had before. And it's transforming my life. It's transforming my life. I've been a Christian for almost 41 years. And I've begun to walk in a level of victory. Not an outward victory, an inner victory. I've begun to walk in places I've never walked in my life, in relationships, in my family, in life. I've begun to be able to handle things and deal with things in a way I've never dealt with them before. And this has been the secret that's turned me around. And this is why I believe God's put in my heart to lead all of us down this path if we are willing to follow Him. And I believe we are. So there's an order. First of all, we've got to see that um, we're gonna, there are con- these, these conditions are in an order that He gives us here, and that order is intentional. So in order to do the last one, we have to begin with the first one and then go to the second one. And there are really just three here. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and then follow Him. So we're going to spend quite a bit of time on what it means to deny yourself. Because I had a wrong understanding of that. And we're going to get into that as we go forward. God knows what will set us free. And only God knows what will work for our best. Let's go to Mark chapter 10. I want to show you an example of this here. Of a second principle. And we're not teaching on the subject Jesus is talking about, but there's a principle in this. Now, Mark chapter 10, verse 26. In this, Jesus has taught them He's, he's just had the rich young ruler come to him. And we'll, we'll talk about him later on. Because the rich young ruler was somebody trying to call himself. And we'll talk about You can't call yourself. He has to call you. And there are people who try to call themselves and they don't have the grace, the strength to live it out. So this young ruler comes to Jesus. And he's sincere. He said, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, you, what does the, the law say? He said, you shall love the Lord your God, the Lord your God, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said, keep those. He said, I've kept them from my youth. He said, that's great. 
only one thing you lack. What is it? Hey, I only lack one thing. I'd love to only lack one thing. I don't know about you. I'd love that Jesus say, there's only one thing you lack. And he said to him, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Now remember when we began this series, I said, I cannot tell you ahead of time what follow me means to you. I don't even know all of what follow me means to me. I just know he says, follow me, and he'll show you what it means for you. So the fact that Jesus told this rich young ruler that in order to follow him, he had to sell everything he had and give it to the poor, doesn't mean you got to sell everything and give it to the poor. That's what Jesus required of him. Why? Because Jesus knew that his riches had a hold of his heart and that the rich young ruler could not follow Jesus with his heart if something else had a hold of his heart. So the reason Jesus told him this was to set him free. So he's finished with them and and the rich young ruler hears the requirement to follow him and he walks away sorrowful. Now, there's some very important things here that the Bible doesn't say, but it says it by not saying them. Jesus didn't go after him. Jesus didn't, no, 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 here, I'll help you. Jesus didn't go after him. I think part of that is because Jesus hadn't called him. And then the disciples turned to Jesus, and then Jesus says a statement. It's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom. He doesn't say it's impossible. He said it's easier for a camel. And the disciples turned to him and said, well, who can be saved? In other words, Jesus is giving them a requirement here that is impossible in their own strength to carry out. And I'm going to this because when he tells us to deny ourselves, that sounds the same way. I can't do that. What's that? And then we'll get into that down the road. Okay. So, Jesus has just said said this, verse 26. And they were greatly astonished among themselves and saying, Who then can be saved? These are men that have left everything and to follow Him. And they're astonished at what He's saying because now they're questioning themselves. Who can do that? Because they're looking at the requirement through their own strength and their own ability. And grace means God never requires anything of you that He will not give you the ability to obey or to do. And that's Jesus' answer. Verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, with men, it's impossible. But with God, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. And that's what He's saying here to His disciples. If you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And our reaction is, who can do that? I mean, really do that, if Jesus really means that. And the answer is the same. With man, that's not possible. But with God, all things are possible. Philippians chapter 2. So as we go down this journey together and we see requirements that are on the surface very demanding, 
there's a tendency to recoil at them and pull back. Or there's a worse tendency, and the tendency is to water it down. Well, I don't know what he really means that. You know, what does he really mean by that? Or we just kind of lightly gloss over it. And it's like going in for surgery. All right? In order for the surgery to work, you've got to let them cut you open. So what we do with the word that has to cut us is we get ticklish. We get sensitive. Do you have some part on your body that's sensitive? If somebody starts touching you, you get ticklish or you, you react to it? Maybe it's the bottom of your feet. Jonathan, you're old enough to handle this. But when my, when my kids are my... I'm not sure my, that your father knows his secret. When my kids were growing up, when we play with me, they try to tickle me. And, and, and I didn't want them to know I was ticklish. So what I did is tell them, uh, I'm not ticklish anywhere except on the palm of this hand. And of course, I'm not ticklish there at all. And so what they would do is they would go after the palm of my hand, and I would kind of hide it from them. And that way they weren't tickling places in me that were ticklish, which I'm not telling you where they are. And sometimes when God's Spirit knows He wants to cut something away that's going to destroy your life, that's growing in your heart, we get touchy. And we don't want to be touched in that area. So we protect ourselves by going to verses we like. My God shall supply all my needs according to His riches and glory. But that verse follows scriptures about how they gave everything into His ministry. We don't want to read those verses. We want to read the verses that we like to read. A couple of years ago, I read a biography of Thomas Jefferson. I'm, I'm, I enjoy American history, especially that Revolutionary War period. And I read it because I just felt re- led to read this book because he's often the subject of a lot of debate on whether he's a Christian or not Christian. And, uh, um, um, and what's, um, the reason I'm mentioning this is, is he, he, he did not believe in revelation knowledge. That's what the age of reason was about. And, and a lot of what we're dealing with now a lot of what we're dealing with now comes the roots of that go back to philosophies that came out of that time which ultimately have their root back in Greek philosophies. And Thomas Jefferson was, was, a, was a rationalist. So he believed that God gave us... He believes a God, but God gave us a mind to think and then let us loose with it. So what he did with the Bible is he cut out the verses that he thought were right and literally cut them out and pasted them on paper, and he left the verses he didn't think were right. I just shook my head when I read that. I thought he was a bright man. I mean, what value does it have if you're telling yourself what you think you need is, is, is truth? Because I'll always agree with myself. I'm always right to myself. Well, that's not true, but I mean... How do I get off on... Oh, Philippians 2. Did you find that yet? Well, I'm in Philemon. I'm in the wrong fill. We're talking about the things we need to focus on as we go through this so that we'll receive it and allow God's Word to work in us 
is first of all what I mentioned at the beginning. Whatever God requires of us, He loves us. So He's not going to require something of us that will hurt us. He will only require things that will ultimately benefit us. They may hurt our flesh. They may hurt our pride. They're going to hurt things that are hurting us. So when the surgeon goes in to count, cut out the cancer, he's killing something that's killing you. When God's Word cuts through to our heart and we get uncomfortable, God's trying to kill something in you that's killing you. So we have to allow Him to do it, but you can only do it. I'm not going to let a surgeon or an anesthesiologist put me out unless I trust that surgeon. So we're not going to let God's Word work in us unless we trust where He's coming from. So that's the first principle. Secondly, Jesus is simply telling us to follow what He did. And He goes before us as a forerunner, and the Bible says He ever lives to make intercession for us. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, we can come to a throne of grace because we have a merciful high priest who's been touched with his feelings every way. He's gone through the same struggles you've gone through. So when you go through a struggle about whether to deny yourself, he's gone through that struggle and his is recorded in Matthew's gospel, his is recorded in, in, in Luke's gospel, his is recorded where he got on his knees in a garden and had to work out again whether he was going to fulfill what God called him to do because he was facing the cost that night so he knows what it's like to wrestle with denying yourself so we have a high priest that's there to help us pay this cost because he's gone through and paid it Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 let this mind be in you which also is in Christ Jesus let's stop there a second I got saved in the faith message. Faith. Start over again. I got saved in the faith message. And this was a verse that was quoted all the time. I have the mind of Christ. I have the mind of Christ. I have the mind of Christ. Paul, what Paul means here is think the thoughts that Paul, that Jesus had. Have the same mindset. When I get up in the morning and I go to, to sit down and have my prayer time and my Bible time, one of the first things I do is I set my mind to, to focus on certain things so that throughout the day, when situ- and I'll tell you what it is later on, not today, you've got to come back, so that when I get, encounter situations later on in the day, I've already told my, just told my mind how we're going to respond to that and, and what we're going to respond. So what Paul is saying here is set your mind to think the same way, the same attitude, the same heart that Jesus had. In other words, you're going to follow him. This is how he thought. This was his attitude. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. We need to take that apart a little bit and not just read over it quickly. His attitude was that. This, that all who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So in, the Bible says in the beginning was that Jesus, that God, the second person of the Godhead, which the Bible refers to as the Word, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So the Word wasn't God, He was with Him. He was in the beginning 
with God. So we know he's a person. And then in verse 14, says, and that word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus is the word of God made flesh. Psalm 107 verse 20 says, He sent His word and healed us. So, so He was in the form of God. He was God. Don't, don't question that. And, and He was at a level with God where He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. What's that mean? Well, if somebody tries to take something that doesn't belong to them, that's called robbery. So what Paul is saying here is for Jesus to consider Himself equal with God wasn't robbery because He was equal with God. So all this verse is setting up is that this person we call Jesus, before He came to this earth, this was the second person of the Godhead and He was equal with God in His glory. He was God in all His glory, in all His majesty. Verse 7. But He made Himself we're talking about denying yourself. He made himself of no reputation. Now that doesn't quite say what it says in the Greek. The word in the Greek is kenosis, which means to empty yourself out. So what this verse says is although he was equal with God, he had the glory of God, the majesty of God, the power of God, the authority with God, and that was not something he took by robbery. He was entitled to it because of who he was. He chose to take all those things that were his core nature and empty himself of those things laying aside His glory, laying aside His majesty, laying aside His supernatural abilities. I'll explain that in a minute. At the end of His ministry in John 17, when He begins by praying to the Father, He said, Restore to me the glory that I had with you at the beginning. He could only have it restored if He'd given it up. So He's asking to give back to Him what he had temporarily laid aside. Now, why did he do that? Well, for a number of reasons. One is because when he walked on this earth, he walked on this earth as a prototype of what a Christian was to be. He was the Son of God. He did no miracles until he was filled with the Spirit of God. And he did all of those miracles not through His power and authority as the second person of the Godhead. He did all those miracles through the power and authority of the Holy Spirit who dwelt in Him. Why? So that when you and I are commissioned and sent out into the world as sons of the living God, filled with the Spirit of God, we go forth in the same power, the same authority with which Jesus walked on the earth. And doesn't make that sense? Since we are the body of Christ, so the bodies to have the same mindset as the head has. But the point is, all of his glory and privileges that he had, he chose to deny himself in the sense of he set them all aside. What we're going to discover, I don't want to get start to get into this because we'll it takes longer to explain and to, to lay a foundation for it. But when I used to hear the word deny myself, I thought that meant deny my existence. I thought that meant punishing myself. And that's not what it means at all. It's not what it means at all. If you want to know what it means, you've got to keep coming back. (laughs) 
He denied his rights as the Son of God so he could do the Father's will. And he took up, so he denied himself, and he took up his cross. Now I'll give you a, a, a clue of something here. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight, very well-known verses. We have time. Let's look at them quickly. Jesus says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Now, he's not just talking about being physically tired or emotionally tired. He's talking about being weary with the requirements of religion, primarily. And his answer, if you're weary with the requirements of religion, if you're burdened down by all the rules, do this, don't do this, how do I wear my hair, what can I wear or not do, or can I have a tattoo or not have a tattoo, don't get me go there. I have my own view. But all, but, but all those things, if we're weary and, and laden down by those things, His answer is to come to me. But there's something that wearies you and wears you out more than rules or regulations. Come to me, all you that are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Doesn't that sound good? A nice vacation. Go somewhere cool. Just take off from work indefinitely. Jesus, that's not what he's saying. Verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and look at this. Learn from me. Remember, he's saying, follow him. He's gone before us to deny himself, take up his cross. So if you want rest in your soul, learn from me how I have rest in my soul. For I am gentle, meek, as another translation says. The word meek or gentle implies restrained strength and power. It doesn't mean weak. Jesus wasn't weak. They didn't take his life from him. He laid it down. They didn't take anything from him that he didn't give up. Years ago there was a TV show. And it was entitled Gentle Ben. Anybody remember General Ben? Boy, you're getting yourselves. And Ben was this cute little puppy named Molly. You know, it's like, no. What was Ben? A bear. Huge claws and powerful claws and arms and legs and teeth. It's like, whoever the star of that show is, Ben could have torn him apart in seconds. But he was gentle. So all that power and strength was restrained by something. Lowly of heart. That means not having a selfish ambition. An ambition about you. An ambition about you. I woke up in the middle of the night the other night and the Lord, I just heard, I've never done this before that I can remember. A quote came to me, and it wasn't a quote I've heard from somebody else. It, it just dropped in me. And, and I've, I've changed it a little bit to make it clear here. True freedom is freedom from self. False freedom is trying to be free to do what self wants. True freedom is freedom from self. False freedom that the world's offering you is to be free to do what self 
wants to do. In other words, free from God. The rest that Jesus is offering here that we learn from Him is Jesus laid Himself aside. The root of almost every struggle you go through is you. Trying to protect yourself, promote yourself, defend yourself, assert yourself, find your self-image. I hear people, I don't hear so much anymore, but people say, I'm trying to find my self-image. Well, you need to get saved. Because the Bible tells you what your self-image is. You were created in the image of God, and now God's forming the image of Christ in you. You are part of, your image is you are part of the body of Christ. So your image is you are Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we're supposed to display that image, and that's what the Spirit of God is in us to do. To do that, we have to deny self. You can't have self-exalted and Christ-exalted. Ever go to fill up your gas tank with these tanks they have now and you go and you know that tank's empty you got there on vapors and you go like this and then starts the automatic thing and after about five seconds go it's telling you you're full well you know you're not full because you know that thing holds 14 gallons or 16 gallons or whatever and it didn't pump it only gave you five gallons so what happened what happened is there was an airlock and so the gas cannot go in until the air comes out because air and gas cannot occupy the same space at the same time. That's one of the principles of physics. Two pieces of mass cannot occupy the same space at the same time. It's called a fender bender. It's when your car tried to occupy the space of the car in front of you and the car in front of you hadn't left yet. Jesus wants to occupy your heart, but He can't until you've left. It doesn't mean you don't exist anymore. Remember, He came to give us life and life more abundantly. And the low level of life that most of us are living is a life that's, that's oriented around myself. When we saw a wonderful series a year or so ago, uh, of Andy Stanley on marriage, he says, the, the root of all strife ultimately is, I'm not getting what I want. And what I want may be legitimate, it may be purposely right, but I'm not getting what I want. So I'll get upset at you because I'm not getting what I want. I'm not being treated the way I want to. And this was the root of sin in heaven. The whole root of sin. We'll talk more about that as you get ahead. I'm getting ahead of myself. But Satan began to get his eyes on himself. And so he began to think he had rights that his beauty came from himself and it wasn't a gift from God. And that opened him up to pride and then that's what he brought to the earth when he was cast to the earth. He brought that to inject that into that first man and woman and they received it because they didn't recognize, because they didn't keep their eyes on God. Self. So we're going to begin to look at what does it mean to deny myself. It doesn't mean that you don't exist. It doesn't mean that you... We'll, we'll talk about what it means. It doesn't mean what I ever thought it meant. It meant something that's setting me free. Let's pray. Father, we thank You today. Lord, because we could not go on a journey like this unless You, out of grace, called us. And Father, we're here today because we're hearing that call. 
And Lord, we come and ask you, you know each of us, you know where each one of us is this morning, you know where our hearts are, you know the issues of our life this morning right now, you know the things that are distracting us, the things that we may be into that we shouldn't be in, you know every detail about our life infinitely more than we do, and yet you love us. You paid for our sin, but you've paid for our sin, that not that we would stay in it, but that you could bring us out. You paid for us so that you could bring us into another level of life, the level of life where you live. And Father, we ask you today to continue to strengthen us by your Spirit in our inner man, that Christ may actually be able to dwell in our hearts by faith, that being rooted and grounded in love, we may come to know with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that passes understanding, that we may be filled with all of your fullness. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. Be glory in the church to Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. You're here this morning. The entrance into.